this story is such an important event in Jesus' public ministry. And because of that, uh, there are several miracles. And even, and as you know, John, Gospel of John uh, has a seven signs, messianic signs of Jesus, and, and then seven I am's. And it's a very purposeful way of telling the J- Jesus story, the gospel is that way, instead of biographical, synoptic gospels, it deals that kind of approach. But this, only this miracle of feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four gospels. And I think the important thing is that for us to know John's approach, John's intent in that, so that we don't read into it. And the author's intent, finding that is a beginning of true understanding of the scripture. So why is it really uh, recorded in this, this miracle of all other things? That, that Jesus walking on the water was recorded in three other Gospels, except in the Gospel of Luke, it's missing. But this one not only opens up new era of Jesus' public ministry, it is a messianic sign, but at the same time, it is supernatural sign in a way that Messiah as a Savior is one sign, and this is a sign that that almost interprets, brings a new light on the people of God in the Old Testament through the Exodus and through Moses and God who provided and shepherded. In In other words, the divinity of God, the divinity of Jesus in this passage is actually undercurrent of everything. So let's look at each um, gospel's emphasis. Matthew and Luke and their gospels, simply their emphasis is, is, is on the miracle itself, embellishment of how glorious and how beautiful that miracle was. The feeding of the 5,000. And as you probably know, most of you know, The Jewish people back then, when they counted people, they counted men only. Not the children, not the women. So most scholars will say at least 10,000 people counting the children and and youth. And some of them will even name the higher number. Just imagine that beautiful sight. I think one of the things that I enjoy most in our church picnic Wherever we go, even starting with the Tustin uh, Pepper Tree uh, Park also. It was a little dinky uh, park, but people, different families will bring uh, not only uh, blankets, but a little, you know, tent for the young babies, young kids. And then even today, we will see that. Just imagine people of groups of hundreds and uh, hundreds and fifties, and they're sitting everywhere in the, on the grass. 
And Jesus' power simply. But Mark's emphasis seems to be on Jesus' compassion. Mark's story, the same details, but a little different angle is this. The disciples say in Mark's gospel, it's late and their people are hungry. We don't have any, you know, uh, bread or anything. So let, Rabbi, let's send them away to the villages so that they could eat, buy food and eat there. And Jesus turns to them and said, you give them something to eat. Very directly. And there seems to be indirect uh, things that Jesus said in today's John's Gospel also too. But Mark's emphasis was in Jesus' compassion. But Gospel of John is recorded at the very end of after the three Gospels are written. So that's why they have the same approach, synoptic Gospels. John's Gospel has very purposeful in terms of theological themes. And then he has chosen this to open up the new discourse of Jesus. Seven I am's. And as you probably remember, the book of Exodus, when Moses was facing burning bush and God of Israel was calling him to go to Pharaoh and let my people go. I don't even know your name. And, and the Lord said, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. Self-existence of God, self-sufficiency of God. Because of that, there is no other way of, you know. So if you're a typical Jew, when Jesus keep on saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of this world. I am the resurrection. And it was loud and clear. So John's emphasis is actually who Jesus really is. And Jesus is testing the disciples' faith. And that testing of faith is also for us as well, if we contextually read it. So John, only John adds the little more additional details. For example, he's the only one who mentions the Passover is at hand. And then it's the east side of Galilee. The Passover is, is at hand. Meaning, all the Jewish men were required by the law to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So they're supposed to heading towards them, and that's Passover uh, meal supposed to be shared at Jerusalem. What are they doing in Galilee? Because it's some incredible things were happening back then. Because well, Jesus skipped some events, 
But there are many unrecorded events of healing, miraculous healing, and then people were not going to miss that excitement. So tons of people, not necessarily they're really interested in really believing in Jesus or really listening to Jesus' teaching, but the curiosity of seeing the miracle happens, the blind opening eyes, the lame walking, all those excitement. So they're following. The multitude is following. And Jesus attempted to get away from them so that disciples can, along with him, have some time alone and rest. But they saw and they, they saw the boat and going that way, and they will follow, through, follow Jesus through the land. And that's what's happening. And then the implication that uh, Apostle John will have, and Jesus when start talking about Moses and manna and bread of life, is actually in the context of feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, fish. That image was actually for this upcoming teaching, starting with the first I am statement of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And the specific disciple, rather than the disciples, Philip was mentioned, Andrew was mentioned, and also a boy, a nameless boy, who had a lunch is mentioned. Now we're, we're going to find out why these things are helpful for us to understand the central message of this event. One more thing. John's Gospel is the only one and described what kind of loaves. Instead of just five loaves, John says five barley loaves. At this time, I'm going to just say barley loaves meant cheapest kind of loaves. And there's a meaning, the significant meaning that we could draw from why barley loaves were um, the definition, the depiction of the what kind of loaves were important. Do you know this? As much as we're familiar with the story, and uh, the 5,000 men, and plus wives and you know, women and children, 10,000 plus people experienced this on a daytime. Everything was so evident. But and yet, if we look through the, the latter part of John 6, it seems to be, it seems that the crowd was missing the central message of what Jesus was doing. They're constantly missing. And Jesus is talking on the spiritual level. And the people are talking, seeking for on physical level. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and I am the bread that's sent from the heaven, and then the people will say, give us this bread. 
thinking that it's a physical bread. There's the only time that it's converging together, and this is faith. When they realize who Jesus is and put their faith in Jesus, that's the converging point. And hence the point of this Jesus point of testing of faith is because to bring the disciples to that. And at the end of the chapter, believe it or not, the most of 5,000 people walk away from Jesus because of hard teaching. They finally hear the details of it. I don't want to go too much ahead, but let's focus on, on this question. If we know John's intent and f- emphasis is on testing of faith of who Jesus really is, what are the lessons in that regard? Otherwise, what not to do would typically happen like this. For example, the people who have a liberal theology, naturalists, oh, nothing really natural, beyond natural things happen. Naturalism is really the scientific, and, and that's the truth. And in this day and age, we don't really believe in uh, supernaturals and, and myths kind of things. So you know what happened? The 5,000 uh, people feeding of the 5,000 is actually the miracle of generosity and sharing because of the little boy. He shared his lunch, and then everybody felt guilty, and they start bringing out their lunch also too, and they shared. Uh, <laughs> so what's the lesson? Oh, we should go out to the food bank and donate our, our food over there. Oh, you know, end is good, but in the process of how we get there, we should be, care, we should be caring for uh, the poor and generosity. It should be our principle, generously giving, cheerfully giving. But what's missing is the most important lesson. It's about Jesus. It's not about the, the real physical bread only. The holistic salvation is the salvation of our physical and spiritual, emotional, entire life. So you can't really separate that. But as I mentioned, the caricature of Jesus will show up if we take that approach. So naturalist approach is what we must not do. Another one is moralist. What can we learn from this? Oh, this means we should not throw away uh, the leftovers. Jesus said, gather all the leftovers and there's a 12 basketful. See, that's what Jesus did. And I'm not arguing the fact that, you know, we should be wasteful. I mean, especially in California, the amount of food we throw away, the third world country can, can live on that for several months, probably. But the point is not moralistic things. Including even Jesus giving thanks. So this is why, boys and girls, mom and dad is one encouraging you, we should pray, we should say grace before the meal. Oh, I'm all for saying grace before the meal. 
But the real lesson is about who Jesus is. Whether we really believe, whether we are actually circling around the fringe of who, what the real lesson is all about. So would you allow me to present four lessons in that context, in that paradigm? Let's take a look at first lesson first. Lesson number one, Jesus is all-sufficient even when all human resources fail. The, hence the test is this. Do you take your trouble to Jesus big or small or do you try to resolve it with your own resourcefulness? Let's look at verse uh, 1 through 7. After this, Jesus went away to the, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that Jesus, he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, would was at hand. Lifting up his, his eyes then, and, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denier worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Why did Jesus pick Philip to ask that testing of faith question? Maybe he was sharp. Maybe he was quick in terms of assessing the in environment, and maybe he was quick on the conceptual things, understanding Jesus' teaching also too. Whatever that was, he proved to be competent in some areas. He looked at Jesus and said, Five den- 200 denarii was not enough, which is one denarius, is a one-day age wage for a typical worker. So it's about an eight-month wage. That's not enough to, to, to feed them to, to satisfactory level. His solution, his assessment was quick and right, but didn't include Jesus. Forgot who Jesus was. Remember Miracle number one is a wedding, wedding at Cana, Cana. Jesus turning, changing water to wine. The question is, how did he, did he use some kind of spell words? Or was it something about him? Who 
Jesus is. That he was able to do these kind of supernatural things, the miracles. So the te test of faith was really on this. While the resourcefulness, the human resource and money is not enough, and if, if I am thinking also just strategically, Jesus, even if we have a money, the villages around here cannot handle this crowd. There are too many people. It's almost like, you know, sending our church a little mom and pop store, the convenience store, that we're going to take care of our lunch there. Just imagine. And that, that's not even comparison to even what what they had. And because of they were just merely following, scholars tell, that, tell, us, tell us that some of them probably didn't have anything to eat over two, three days. They were starving. And they were poor people. It was common back in the days. But this test is for us as well. To see the sufficiency of Jesus in all things. Not categorizing in a way, oh, this I could handle, Jesus. No, thank you. Uh, you know, I got this. But something very obscure and, you know, uh, my uncle's salvation. This is your stuff. My finance, uh, this is I could handle. I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to make some calls for my son's education, my daughter's problem at school. What are we forgetting? You might be tiger mom. You might be tiger dad. You might be very subtle. Like a, one of those you know, parents who doesn't appear to be helicopter mom or, you know, Helicopter dad, but it subtly making things, the connections with, you know, with the super relational skills with connecting with teachers and building good rapport. You could do X, Y, and Z, yes. But the problem is as we are doing that, we're missing Jesus amidst of us. Supposedly, the Jesus in whom we believe, whom we trust. Easier said than done. Brothers and sisters, let me be honest with you. Past few weeks, it's been most, one of the most difficult weeks for me. I usually, usually know what to do. If you ask me, I mean, part of my gifting is I'll, I'll come up with some kind of strategy. At least there is an option for me. But I was at loss. It was eating me up. And not only church, my family, my in-law, mother-in-law. Um, the 360 degree of things were happening. And I was, I was thinking about, okay, 
I'm going to lose some sleep tonight again. But tomorrow morning, will I have some answers? No. But I saw my default mode. I start looking at website and trying to do things. Uh, you, could, you could even do quick religious things of praying. Lord, help me to guide you. But do I really seek Jesus? You are sufficient. All I need is you. I know some of you guys have that. Your loved one is seriously sick. You don't know what to do. How to care for them. You don't have an answer. And some of you are in conflict. You don't know how to resolve it. Some of you, stress is building up because of your children or your marriage. The lesson here, more than anything, is we all become tendencies to become like Philip. We need to see Jesus who's asking those questions. You see, the reality is, unless we experience and feel the need of our desperate situation, in other words, our brokenness, we will not seek Jesus' help. Because we are so obsessed with what's going on within us. And we might come up with a smart plans of self-protection. not realizing what Jesus could do. So let me ask you again, sisters and brothers, do you take your brother's troubles, big or small, to Jesus? Or do you try to resolve it with your own resourcefulness? As I knelt down and before God, and God, I'm clueless about my next step, God comforted me. And this the famous traditional hymn came. The first stanza we all know, what a friend we have in Jesus. But this is the third sense of that. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he will take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. Joseph Striven is right in his own confession, in his own meditation. And Corey Temple is reminding us 
is, is prayer. Your spare tire in the trunk or driving wheel. You know, some of the things I mentioned, uh, Jesus, I could handle this. I'm going to drive. Don't worry. But when we get really wrecked, I'm going to go to the trunk and ask you help. Jesus, my Savior, my spare tire. It, it, you know, I kind of, it makes us chuckle, but it's, a lot of times we are treating him that way. And I think that's the same clarity of direction that God is showing me to our church, to our facility issues also too, and our adjusting as a mobile church, and adjustment with each other as well. Lesson number two, Jesus uses the little we have when we surrender it all to him. And the test is, do you surrender the little that you have to Jesus, or do you limit Jesus because of your own limitation? This is very misleading, self-misleading. So let's pay attention to this lesson. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, another person now, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. In other gospels, it have them sit down by hundreds and like that. So it was a systematic way of getting prepared. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. And this much grass in the place is also uh, congruent. And the validity of the true story is here. Why? Because Passover time, during about March or April, there will be a lot of grass. And then into the summer, the all grass will be gone. <clears throat> the green will turn to the brown, as we've seen it without much water. Unlike Philip, at least Andrew did the right thing. He was searching for anything. Do we have anything? And a boy had very poor family's lunch. So his mom probably packed him and by the way, when we say boy, it's not, necess not necessarily just really tiny old elementary school kid or toddler. But when they mention the boy, uh, uh, King James called it a lad. It's typically anyone who's not married. It could be age of 20. It could be uh, a boy as well. Teenage boy as well. But he also failed the test of faith because he didn't see Jesus' ministry. He didn't remember Jesus' ministry creating from something, from nothing. Like wedding of Cana. 
And think of a boy's surrender. And I, I think it's just remarkable faith. When you really see simple people, not simplistic people, who are superficial, doesn't have anything, but simple people who can endure in the midst of complexity. They have a pure faith. Much better faith than us. So what did he do? He has this five barley loaves and two fish. And by the way, two fish is probably kind of one of those a side dish. Not necessarily the way we think about fish, but it's more of a a seasoned uh, fish, dry fish, or it could be, so that they could eat with loaves. The simple lunch they had. Um... These five volley loaves and the pickled fish. If I give it to Jesus, Jesus will do miracle. He's going to do exactly what I can imagine. Did he have that? No. Did he even have some kind of idea this will do some good? No. He probably have no idea what's going on. But a simple faith is his surrender. I think this is really important lesson for us. A lot of times, we look at our lives, said, "Go serve for the kingdom of God and glory of God." And typical excuse we have: uh, I, I don't have much of gift. I'm not really good at this. Oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm always too shy. Oh, I can do public speaking. Oh, I can do X, Y, I cannot do X, Y, and Z. So therefore, there's a sense of sounding really humble, which sounds pretty good reasons to say no. Look at this boy. What Jesus is calling and testing our faith today is that what little you have, will you surrender to me? Your life. And not because you, you, you are able and you could do it in one of those believe in yourself and you could do it kind of thing. But because with your faith, you can stop limiting God because of your own limitation. The reality, we agree that you are limited. You can't do such or such a thing. But will you surrender? May this sentence stay in your heart by the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Will you surrender yourself, the little you have, to Jesus? And think about this before we move on. 
if Jesus can do anything out of nothing, like for example, you give them something to eat. Oh, you don't have anything. Don't worry. Let's just pray and I create bread and two fish uh, that could be I mean, more than enough. So I'm going to create something from nothing. Was Jesus able to do it? Yes. The voice of Jesus was creating the entire universe from nothing. Then, if then, why did Jesus say, find out what you guys have? And other Gospels say that. And then he took what was surrendered to him. This is a convergence of that faith and who Jesus is. That converging point is important. So will you look at it, the self-leading, self-misleading, the, the logic of, since I'm not good enough, I, God cannot use me. Or since I have brokenness in my past, God cannot use me. And God has a lot of people, very gifted people. He will not force you. But you're the one, and I'm the one who's going to miss a lot. Let's number three. I'm going to wrap up a little faster, I think. Um. Lesson number three is that Jesus has the power to give us abundantly beyond what we can imagine according to his knowledge of what's best for us. So the test is do you give thanks to Jesus for what you have or do you grumble and complain about what you do not have? Oh, this was so convicting. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them, them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five volley loaves left by those who had eaten. Let's think about this also too. Jesus didn't pray, giving thanks when the bread, when the loaves and two fish were multiplying miraculously. Jesus gave thanks first with simple, small little lunch and giving thanks. This is what they had, 5,000 men plus had and gave thanks. And notice also how much they ate. They were given, how much do you want? Give me, can I have some more? You could take as much as you want. And then everyone 
ate to their fill. In other words, their very sacks are stuffed. They couldn't eat anymore. And the 12 baskets, probably the baskets that typically, back in the days, the disciples would carry, every single one of their baskets were full. That abundance is there. So how do we know that when we're really trusting God, that God could do this, and Jesus can do this? It's all about our attitude, whether we're giving thanks or whether we begin to grumble. Let me be the first one to uh, apply and confess here. When we move here, in Yoba Linda, uh, Yoba Middle School, the first thought that was I was worried about is set up and break down. And then obviously even driving nearby our, our neighborhood and the sit, you know, small churches that they had and their own building, I was aware of what we do not have. How good it will be for, for us to have our, our place 24-7. that people will stabilize and it will be such a more welcoming place, etc., etc. I didn't spoke those words verbatim to others. And obviously, I'm embarrassed to even think like that. But grumbling is a spirit. Complaining is a spirit. We could complain against each other as well. That's the spirit. And I confess, I repent from that. And that once we do that, what we have is, we have a place to meet here. It's very spacious. And then we have people who love the vision of Crossway and journey with us. Thank you, Lord. You apply that in your own personal lives. And your own, maybe you, you, you're struggling with your finance, but you look at what you have. Do you give thanks or do you grumble? You look at your children instead of grumbling against them. And it kind of shows our attitude against them as well, right? Are we thankful? Because Jesus can do miraculously giving to all the things we need. Beyond what we can eat. But he's also wise and discerning. So what he gives us right now in this situation is most discerning gift for us. And discerning gift for you, your family as well. Fourth and last lesson. Jesus says no to whatever is contrary to God's sovereign purpose and will no matter how flatteringly good it might be. So the test is in your enthusiasm of trusting Jesus for your needs, especially when you are determined to trust Jesus more, do you submit to God's sovereign purpose and will for your own good? Or do you unknowingly use Jesus for your own definition of your best? 
are you going to grumble if that doesn't happen, right? If your definition of best is not being met by the sovereign God who's powerful. Verse 14, this is what was happening back then. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is, come, who is to come into the world. Deuteronomy 18.18, Moses said that there will be another prophet just like me will come. You need to listen to him. So Israelites and Jews were looking for, waiting for this prophet. They got half right. Moses was a type of Christ. Another thing is, they were trying to make messianic king. They could perceive that Jesus can do any, anything like this. Then he gotta, he's got to be our king, political king. Once again, half right. Jesus is not a king of this, this earthly kingdom. So the, this lesson is utterly important. We need to let Jesus be who he really is. You know what's happening in America? This tendency is happening all the time. People enthusiastically believe that Jesus got to be the capitalist Jesus, America's best Jesus, that we could return to whatever the prosperity that we experience as in America. God bless America. On the other hand, there's a socialist Jesus. That Jesus has this idea of just politically liberal ideas in all areas. And there is this hipster Jesus who knows the culture, who knows the art, who kind of hangs around with the artsy people. The Jesus... Authentic Jesus in the scripture is not going to be used by us. He will not let us because he is, after all, sovereign God. Let me close with this quote. A.W. Tozer writes, he must, we must repudiate this great modern way of seeking God for his benefits. He wants us to know that when we have him, we have everything. We have all the rest. And he mentions Matthew 6, 33. Seek, seek first the kingdom of God and, and everything shall be added unto you. Louis Giglio, um, the Passion Movement, uh, writes, Jesus doesn't give you what you need. Jesus is what you need. And yes, and I think our church needs to pay attention to what we need as a, instead of getting frustrated what Jesus can give us 
And then he's not giving us enough or early enough. Oh, how sweet it is to know this Jesus. So when we have Jesus, we have everything we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these four reminders for us. Uh, often we missed it, uh, looking at this story of feeding of the 5,000. But yet we really see it today that you want us to come into your life and let you be the center rather than asking you to come into our lives as we are being the center. We do pray we would treat you not just a bread giver, but we will commune with you because you are the bread of life to us. And as we celebrate our, our church life and our family at the picnic, may you continue to remind us of these important lessons. Oh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.